Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. Our sermon lesson this morning comes from Jonah chapter two, and some of you with eagle eyes out there are gonna say, but wait, Pastor Matt, you started reading today's lesson at chapter one, verse 17. Well, that's because the verses and the little numbers you see in your Bible, uh, God didn't inspire those. And in fact, people made good sound judgments about where best to make chapter divisions, but the earliest Hebrew manuscripts that we have for, Hebrew, for the Hebrew Bible, for the book of Jonah, includes verse 17 with chapter two. So we're gonna do that this morning as well. Our sermon lesson from Jonah chapter two, if you wanna follow along, it's printed on your worship guide. Now, the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. He said, in my distress, I called out to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been vanished from your sight yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. The seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains, I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit." When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. To those who cling to worthless idols, turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say again, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. This is the word of our God. Jake, I'm open. Throw me the ball. I still remember everything that occurred after my brother Jake did, in fact, throw me the ball. See, we grew up in... South Florida, and we spent a lot of time playing in swimming pools. On this particular afternoon, it was my brother Jake, my cousin Aaron, this kid named Keith, and I playing this game called Keep Away. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with that somewhat complex game, I'll try to break down the rules pretty simply. What happens is someone's it, and the other members of the game, in this case, the other three, try to take the ball and throw it to one another and keep it away from the person who's it. That's it. Keith was it. And Keith came barreling towards my brother, Jake, both arms outstretched in the sky. And so I said, Jake, throw me the ball. And Jake leaned back. He threw the ball high over Keith's arms, way 
over my head as well. And I still remember turning, pushing off from the shallow end with all of the strength that an eight-year-old's legs could muster and swimming as fast as I could to go get the ball. But Keith was quick. And Keith put one hand, then two on my shoulders and pushed me under to grab the ball. I didn't shout. I couldn't. I didn't have any air in my lungs. I didn't wave my hands around. And now I know that psychologically, people say drowning people usually don't. I just gasped for air with one panic gasp after another. And then I went down until my aunt reached over, grabbed my arm, and pulled me to the side of the pool. Then there was yelling as Keith's mom got up, came around, and grabbed Keith and got him out of the pool too. We're thankful for the very real guardian angels that God has, has put in our lives to, to keep us safe. Because I, I don't think it's that unusual that, that you might have a, a family or a friend, or maybe you yourself have a, have a scare with drowning. I pray that you don't. And whether you do or don't, I think we can all agree that that sensation, that experience of, of struggling for air, of drowning, was well, one of the scariest experiences that they're in. You know why that is? It's because the person drowning is completely not in control. They have no control over the situation. And that's where we last left Jonah, sinking, drowning, completely not in control. If you weren't here for our introduction to this sermon series last week, we started with Jonah chapter one. And if you're someone who's ever wondered about your calling in life, God's purpose for you in life, I wanna encourage you, go back, listen to it, watch it, because it's all about how God gives calls to us all. But let me summarize for you what happened in short. God called Jonah. In fact, God called Jonah to go to a place called Nineveh to show and speak words and give actions of grace and mercy to the people there. But Jonah did the exact opposite. Jonah ran away from that call. In fact, Jonah ran to a place that was way more luxurious and way more comfortable than going to a violent people like Nineveh. God said, Jonah, I'm calling you to do something uncomfortable. Jonah said, no, thanks, God. I'm more concerned about my comfort than your call. And yet God doesn't give up on Jonah. He sends wave after wave of God's mercy into Jonah's life to slash him in the face, to wake him up, to get him to see how much God loves him, to get him to embrace him once again. But then Jonah takes his life into his own hands. He tells the men aboard the ship to throw him overboard. And no, God didn't command it, demand it, or encourage that. He doesn't, he doesn't ask for that kind of human sacrifice anywhere in Scripture. And that's where we last left Jonah. Sinking, with no yelling, 
no waving of the arms, just panicked gasps for air as the waves buried him deeper and deeper into the sea. And Jonah looked up and he could no longer see the stormy clouds above, but, but only the water above him. You know what ancient people considered the most uncontrollable and unpredictable thing in their lives? It was water. It was the sea. And really, we can kind of relate to that today because oceans and seas are deep. Currents from from big bodies of water, they create storms. And, And we can't control the weather. We can't control the wind. We can't control waves. Add to it the fact that there's things below the surface of the water things that are unseen and we imagine are sometimes unkind. Jonah was experiencing all of that, that overwhelming sensation of not being in control. But you don't have to be on a boat and you don't have to be drowning to understand that, right? We talk about it as a metaphor all the time that, that we are having rainy days or we're, we're going through a storm in our life. So what is it? What is it, that thing that is uncontrollable, that makes you feel threatened, well, that makes you feel like you're, you're, you're treading water, barely able to grab a breath? Maybe it's your work life. Maybe, maybe it's your boss or that coworker, or maybe it's just your to-do list. I mean, we hear folks say it all the time. Well, I'm just drowning in my to-do list. What are the storms that are, are brewing in your home life? Maybe with a friendship or another relationship. We know, we know intellectually that we can't control other people. And yet all the time, in our dealings with our loved ones, we're flooded with emotions. Or maybe it's you. Maybe it's you and the decisions that you've caused that kind of make you feel like you're living in a tornado tornado, and things just won't slow down. What is it that looks to, to threaten you and makes you feel powerless? Is it health? Mental health? Is it a certain debilitating diagnosis? Or maybe it's not those things. Maybe it's bigger things. Things that we know are far outside of our control, call them the the gale force winds of, of global events, but we feel them anyways. We feel concern and hopelessness and powerlessness about things like poverty, racial equality, terrorism, a pandemic. What this story about, what the, the biblical historical narrative of Jonah is about, it's about God pulling us in and pulling us under this idea of control. But more importantly, It's about God showing us why you and I can live, you can live well, and you can live for a really long time, even when, and especially when you are experiencing storms. 
That's what this story is about. And we're gonna look at how God's word in Jonah chapter two shows us that this morning. But not before we look at Jonah, who teaches us how not to weather storms in our life. Yet again, Jonah shows us really the anti-type of who we want to be as Christians, of of how we want to live as any person. You heard it read in the prayer. What Jonah does in his prayer to God is he offers up not one, but not two, but three different really classic behaviors that people display all the time when they're experiencing storms in life. Things that really don't help, but in fact, hurt. What Jonah does is he blames, he compares, and he negotiates. Check it out. Verse, verse, uh, verse three, beginning at his prayer, after spending just three days and three nights in the fish's belly, he finally calls out to God and he says, you hurled me into the depths, into the very hearts of the sea, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers sweep over me. For those of you who who know your Bibles, you quickly realize that Jonah also knew his Bible. He's quoting the Psalms, but he's actually misquoting it. He's misquoting it to say, God, you did this. You threw me into the sea. You buried me below the depths of the waters. It's your fault that I'm here. You can picture God, can't you? head in his hands, shaking his head at his prophet. You can imagine God saying to him, no, Jonah, I didn't throw you over the boat. I never wanted you in the sea. In fact, I wanted to be with you and guard you and keep you safe all the way to Nineveh and back. But you, Jonah, you jumped in. You, Jonah, didn't listen when I called you back with just a little bit of wind and rains. You, Jonah, are the one who who made this all happen. Jonah, when are you going to get it? But Jonah doesn't. He just blames. And in this case, he blames God. You ever play the blame game? Maybe maybe not you blaming God, of course not. But have you ever looked at something a little turbulent in your life and thought, you know what? If my friend was a little more intelligent, If my kids would just listen to me, if the barista would have just made my latte a little bit quicker, I wouldn't be so late, I wouldn't be so frustrated, and I wouldn't be in this mess that I am. It's kind of low-hanging fruit. I think it's easy for us to admit, yeah, we've blamed people before. Do you realize why you blame people? We blame others because it allows us to deflect guilt. It allows us to essentially live a lie that everything in our life is a-okay and we're flawless and we have no problems. Not only does it, does it trick us out of seeing the reality that we do go through waves, ups and downs in our life, but perhaps worst of all, blaming others pushes those that, that God places in our life to save us, to help us, pushes them away. That's what Jonah does. He blames others. And then as if that isn't bad enough, in verse eight, Jonah goes on from there and he compares the circumstances and himself to the sailors that just threw him off the boat. 
If you remember from Jonah chapter one, these sailors once were pagan sailors who worshiped all sorts of different gods. What happened by the end of Jonah chapter one? These sailors heard the word of God. They trusted in the word of God. They became more faithful and full of faith than even Jonah himself. And yet Jonah takes the good guys and throws them right under the bus. In verse eight, Jonah says, those who cling to worthless idols, turn away. They turn away from God's love for them. See what he's saying? He's saying, God, God, look, I've never worshiped all their idols. Nope, never worshiped other gods. And now, God, I've never turned away from you. So get me out of here. Save me. I'm not like them. He compares. I could share probably a hundred different passages from the Bible that, that say comparing people is a bad idea. Comparing your circumstances, your life, yourself to others is a bad idea. But if you don't believe me, maybe, maybe you'll believe the celebrated author Mark Twain. He said that comparison is the death of joy. You don't believe God or Mark Twain. Maybe you will believe the body of research of scientific research that proves over and over again that when you compare yourself to others, joy decreases, trust decreases, worry, anxiety, those increase. And right at the time where where you need someone, you need to trust someone, you need someone's hand to reach out and grab you as life has both hands on your shoulder and feels like it's holding you under, Well, comparison, just like blame, pushes them away. That's what Jonah does. But if if that weren't bad enough, he ups the ante in verse 9 when he negotiates with God. He says this, But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. It is the age-old bartering and negotiating with God to try to find a better way. God, if you just give me that, I promise I will do this. In fact, God, if you stop this from happening, I promise that I will make this church thing, this Bible thing, a part of my life. God, if you just do this, then we'll be good. Joe says, God, if, if you just get me out of this fish, if you just save me, then, then I will go to your temple in Jerusalem with shouts of praise. I'll, I'll make sacrifices to you. But not only is it warped that, that Jonah thinks he can actually negotiate with God, he tries to pull a fast one on God. God didn't want Jonah in Jerusalem. God wanted Jonah to go to Nineveh. And there you're starting to see what's the problem here in this prayer and the problem with Jonah. Did you catch it? Did you catch it when I read it before? His prayer, it's all about Jonah. 24 times in just an eight verse prayer, Jonah refers to me, myself, and I. 
if you do a little quick math, that is an average of three times every verse that Jonah makes it about himself and himself being the hero of his own rescue story. You know where God comes in? He's mentioned a third less of the times than Jonah. Jonah makes this prayer, Jonah makes the storm in his life all about him. And that, I hope you see, is why this prayer is here in Scripture. It's here in Scripture in order to teach us, in order to teach us that our use, our use of Scripture, our misuse, that's not what saves us. That our comparisons to others that <laughs> at least I don't do what they did, it's not what saves us. This prayer is here in scripture so that we see even our best prayers aren't that great. Even our comparisons to other people, they're steeped in really a heart that, well, makes things up about other people to build ourselves up. Our comparisons aren't as clear-eyed as we think. And when it comes to bargaining, does God really not have anything that we could give him? What this prayer teaches us is that all of our efforts to save us really end up sinking us. But really what this prayer is about is, is showing that all of those sins, all of those things that we do that sink us, God swallows them. God takes them all and he buries them in the bottom of the ocean. You guys thought I forgot about it, didn't you? You guys thought just because I, I didn't mention it yet, I forgot about the most famous part of this story. Verse one or verse 17 of chapter one. You thought I forgot that the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. What's the story of Jonah all about? It's actually not about Jonah and the whale. The whale gets mentioned only three times and this is one of it. What this is about is about God and his mercy. It is about God, you saw it, who provided a huge fish. Why? He sent the fish to swallow Jonah, to shelter Jonah from the storm in order to save Jonah so he wouldn't sink, so he wouldn't drown. God sent a fish so that Jonah wouldn't die, but Jonah would live. In chapter one, you see God control the wind and the waves and everything in the storm, everything above the surface. In chapter two, you see God control what's going on below the surface by sending a whale at just the right time to save Jonah. This isn't chance. This isn't serendipity that a fish just happened to swallow up and catch Jonah. This is God saving Jonah. Throughout this series, we're asking the question, what is Jonah all about? This story is about God's mercy. It is about God working in you and me to empty self of, of confidence in me and fill us with confidence in his mercy, to fill us with confidence and trust in the fact that he is the God who is in control of every aspect of our lives. I said it at the beginning, that's what Jonah is all about. It is about God calling us in, sweeping us in and under this really deep matter in our lives, a spiritual matter in our lives. The idea of who's in control, 
and admit it. <laughs> it's not you. You and I are not masters and commanders of our destiny. At every single point of your life that you're not in control, God is. And he's there to give you his grace and to give you his mercy. I ask you to think about what the most uncontrolled area of your life is, where it is that you might feel like you're drowning. If you don't think Jonah is all about this story, draw the connection to the New Testament to Jesus. What's the very first thing Jesus did to instill in people that he was who he said he was, that he was the Lord? He calmed the most uncontrollable thing in his disciples' lives. He called the sea. When his disciples' faith began to waver and they weren't really sure about him, what'd he do? He walked on the most unpredictable, uncontrollable thing in their lives. And he didn't run in a hurried panic. No, he walked all over the water. And so remember, remember when you feel like you're drowning. Remember when you feel like you're just not in control of this situation. You have a lifesaver. You have a savior. And he walked on water. In fact, he, he walked all over the most uncontrollable thing in your life and mine to prove to you, to show to you that he's in control of all of it. But what about when you still feel like you're in the belly of the fish? Someone asked me that. In fact, this week, I still don't know if they knew we were preaching on Jonah chapter two, but I called a friend, asked them how they were doing, and they shared with me for, for years, they've been working to improve their health. But recently, they got bad news. They found out that they, they have a condition that they, they couldn't do anything to prevent and they can't do anything to, pr- to fix at the moment. And the friend said to me, you know, Pastor, sometimes it just feels like you're in the belly of a fish. So what then? Well, sometimes for people who are sinner saints, it's not enough to just know that God is in control because I'm willing to guess that many of you could have told me that before you came here this morning. Yeah, I know, God's in control. Sometimes for us, it's not enough to just know it. It helps to see it. And that's why God, well, he actually gave you a sign. He actually gave you a sign to prove to you that he is in control. We read it in our lesson from Matthew's gospel on one occasion where a group of people, a group of skeptics showed up to ask Jesus to prove he was who he said he was. He said, I'm not giving you a sign except for one. And then Jesus did a crazy thing. He compared himself to one of the worst prophets that has ever walked the face of the earth. In fact, it's the only prophet that Jesus ever compares himself to. He compares himself to Jonah and he said, no sign will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the son of man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And now something greater than Jonah is here. You know what the sign of Jonah is? Well, it's a sign in the New Testament that draws a connection to the old and back again that shows you that the, that the story of Jonah, 
It's about something much huger than a fish. It's about a lot more than, than God just being in control of the storms in your life. It's about a whole lot more than, than trying to figure out a way to get out of that feeling, that, that figurative feeling of being in a fish. This is a story about how you and I have been rescued from six feet under. It's a story about how you have been resurrected from a place that is a whole lot deeper than the bottom of the ocean. This is a story about heaven and hell and how Jesus Christ has overcome all of it. What is the sign of Jonah? It is more than just a coincidence with the number three, three days, three nights. It is all about the suffering, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and how that not only has relevance for your eternity, it has application for you and for me right now. First, Christ's suffering means that you will not ever be alone and therefore you can drop the blame. You can drop the blame game. Christ Jesus is unlike any other God. Jonah said that he had seaweed around his head. Christ had a thorn around his heads. Jonah said that he sank because of his sin. Christ sank because he had the weight of the world's sin. Jonah said he, he went down to the depths. Christ Jesus went into the depths of your suffering. And there is no other small G God in all the world's religions that does what your God does, who comes for people who should suffer and he suffers for them. What, is, what does that mean for you and I? That means that it doesn't matter if you did or did not cause the storm in your life. It doesn't matter if you do or do not understand the storms in your life. One thing is clear, no matter what you're going through in life, that Christ Jesus is here and his suffering proves that. He came into your suffering, into my suffering, and he did it through the sign of the cross. That is what the sign of Jonah is all about. That no matter where you are and what you're going through in your life, you never have to ask the question, where is God? You might ask why. Why, God, why is this happening to me? But you never need to ask where because you always know that Christ is there in your suffering through his cross. The sign of Jonah proves that, that he's there in your suffering and he's there with you because of his death. And that means you never have to compare yourself to others. It's no coincidence that Jesus compares himself to Jonah. It's not a historical fluke that Jonah was three days, three nights in the belly of a whale, and Jesus went on a journey in and out of hell in three days and three nights. No, it is to show you that Christ's death means something for you. Christ died for you and redeemed you and brought you up from a place even lower than the bottom of the ocean. And you say, okay, what does that have to do with the fact that I no longer need to compare myself to others? Stop and just meditate on this. Someone died for you. If you just take a chance to think about that, you have more than enough fuel for thought for the rest of your life. Someone died for you. And that means that if someone died for you, do you really need to spend your time comparing yourself, competing with others? If someone died for you, that means you can stop 
all of the needs to find your identity in comparing yourself to your neighbor or competing with this person or that because your identity, your worth is not based in that, but it's based in the fact that someone died for you and lives for you still today and that somebody is your savior. The last thing that the sign of Jonah shows us is that you never need to negotiate with God again because he's already given you all the goods. Jonah didn't deserve what he got. Jonah did deserve to fry in the belly of a fish, to die in the bottom of the ocean. But God let him out. Not because of anything he did or anything he said. And that grace, that mercy, it's for you and me too. Long before you ever knew Jesus, prayed to Jesus, his mercy was for you. Long before you were able to to read the Bible or quote the Bible, Jesus, his mercy was for you. And his mercy, it means that God didn't give to us that which we deserve. God's mercy means that he gives to us all of the goods that we already have are tied up in Christ Jesus. That means you are already living on the shores of resurrection life. That everything that Christ has, he's given to you. Hope of heaven is yours. Forgiveness of all sins is already yours. The peace that you need to know that everything is right with you and God, that's already yours, that's already given to you. And this shows that the sign of Jonah points specifically to Christ's work of going to the grave for you and coming alive again, rescuing you from a place that is far below the bottom of the ocean, that stinks and is a lot worse than having guts of a fish all over you. Your Jesus brought you up from that. He brought you up from that place to live with him forever. And he's given that all to you already. Jonah finally finally realized that. We've critiqued enough of his prayer. He He actually understood it at the very end. After Jonah was emptied of all of his attempts to save himself, all the blaming, all the comparing, all the negotiating, he gives the most beautiful two word sermon. You can read it in verse 9. It says, Yeshuata la Adonai. That's Hebrew, just two words for what you read in five. Salvation comes from the Lord. Yeshuata, you hear it, the name Joshua. Joshua, the Old Testament name for Jesus. Salvation comes from the Lord. Yes, salvation ultimately comes from Jesus. That is what this story is all about. That is what the book of Jonah is all about. That salvation is from Jesus. And God, he works in your life and in your mind, even in the storms, to empty us of all of the confidence that we have in me and you have in you, and to fill us with confidence in his mercy. Still feel like it doesn't change the fact like I'm in the belly of a fish or drowning in life storms. Well, last year, my wife gave me a very adult present. For the first time in my life, I'm the proud owner of a rain jacket. And on the tag of this rain jacket, it had a kind of well-known Swedish saying. It said, there's no such thing as bad weather, only bad clothes. 
You apply that to your life as a Christian. You apply that to the storms that you and I will inevitably go through. And you think about what you have been clothed in in Christ Jesus. You have been clothed with a tailor-fitted rain jacket that is better and outperforms any of the things that you can provide to save yourself. You have been given the flotation device of Christ that buoys you with his love no matter what you're going through in life so that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt when you are in a place, in a storm, and you feel that you're not in control, at every single point that you're not, he is, and he's there with his mercy. Amen.